Well, good morning once again, Calvary family. We're getting there. It's all right. It's all right. Hey, hey, I am, uh, I'm excited. This has been a good weekend. Uh, yesterday, we did our Calvary Lighthouse 101, and we had five individuals go through it uh, that is going for a new members uh, class is what that was. And so we've got a couple other steps to go along with it. But it's always exciting when people make the decision to move into membership because it is a difference uh, being a member versus just attending. Uh, and we talk about it just in the sense of you're joining the family. You're, you're saying, this is where I'm, I'm putting down roots. And so that was exciting. We had a good day yesterday. I enjoyed it uh, a lot. I just, it was, uh, it was it's, if, believe it or not, it was a quick three hours uh, for the class that we went through. Um, but we'll do uh, probably three or four membership classes throughout the year. So it was just exciting uh, morning. I'm also excited about next Sunday. Uh, we're going to do baptism uh, as part, we'll do it as part of the Sunday morning service. So if you have not been baptized, uh, please contact the office. We'd love to get you uh, signed up to be baptized. Uh, it's the baptism is a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It's a declaration of the internal work that God has done inside of you. And it's a wonderful uh, representation, a testifying of how your life has been committed to Christ. So I would invite you, if you have not uh, signed up for baptism, please do so. Uh, We'd love to baptize you as part of service uh, next week, and I'm excited about that. Well, this morning, we're continuing on in our series on Nehemiah. Uh, we, We have made it to the seventh chapter. The seventh chapter. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter seven today. And as we open Nehemiah chapter seven, you'll see in the first verses there that Nehemiah has gotten to the point where the wall has been built. The wall has been built. And it's really, you look at it and you go, all right, so the purpose of what Nehemiah was called to do, the vision of Nehemiah was to rebuild the wall. That's what, that's what he was doing. And so there's six more chapters in Nehemiah. And so we go, all right, he built the wall. What's next? What's the next thing to do? How many of you have ever done that? Maybe you've completed a significant task in your life. Maybe graduating high school, graduating college. I know that when um, they, they actually have just like minor counseling classes for you as you finish up your doctorate, they kind of say, they tell you, and I heard this when I finished my master's and they, they again repeated it when I was finishing my, my dissertation, they said, you're going to come to a point where you're going to go, all right, now what? You ever gotten to that spot? I did, I've done this, you get moved into a house. You, you move into, you get everything hung up on the wall, you've been intensely busy working on a major project and then you're going... What now? Well, that's kind of where we're at for the rest of the book of Nehemiah. Because the wall has been built. The wall is complete. And uh, it's really, what is next? That's the question. Have you ever asked that question for yourself? What's next? God, what, what, what is next? Well, we're going to look at what uh, the next part here for Nehemiah is. If you're in Nehemiah chapter 7, this is one of those chapters that you... You flip open to, and if you're like me, and I know that I am, uh, you will open to that and you go, well, here's a bunch of things I don't need to read, uh, because it's just, it's a list. It's a list, right? And you, you skim over that stuff. Yeah, I was reminded, there was a, um, there was a traveling, I don't want to call him an evangelist. It, it, was, it was almost, I'm not sure what you would call him, because he wasn't really a teacher, he wasn't a preacher, he wasn't an evangelist. He was, he was, he was a traveling guy called the Bible man. And he, it was almost like, um, 
oh, I don't know, like a Christian entertainment guy. And what he, you could do is you could give him like four words from a verse, and he would tell you where in the Bible that was from. Or you could, you could yell out a chapter in verse, and he could quote you that verse. He had memorized the entire Bible. Yeah, word for word, chapter and verse. I, my brain, I don't believe, has the capacity to do that. I'm lucky to remember where I park when I go to Walmart. And so that's why we have to hide the word of God in my heart because it gets lost and it just gets ingrained in there. But this guy was so impressive. But here's the thing. I'm wondering if he memorized the genealogies because actually the Bible tells us don't worry about memorizing those, right? But Nehemiah chapter 7 is an interesting place because Nehemiah, the, the, the wall is built. It's done. It talks about setting the gates and the guards there. But if we look at verse 4, it's, it's the next step for Nehemiah. It says, now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been built. So God put into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical records for those who had been the first to return. So the wall had been finished. Now let me fill in a couple of blanks here. The wall, we, we already talked about it. It was it encompassed 90 acres. Now I don't think I defined this for you before, but Jerusalem, the, the wall that Nehemiah built was not as large of an area as what Jerusalem was before the wall was torn down. Nehemiah made it a little bit smaller. And it's not as large as it is today. So if you look in your Bible, you'll actually see, if you have maps in the back, how the wall was changed. So Nehemiah completed the work, but it wasn't exactly the same as what it was before. And there was still more work to do, even though the outside was done. The inside, people didn't have a place to live. The houses hadn't been built. It was spacious, it was wide. Part of the reason it was wide open spaces is because nobody was there. It's kind of like Montana. Plenty of space out in Montana because uh, they don't have that many people. And so then we go through the rest of this. We, and we're not going to read all of this, uh, and you guys can say thank you. Uh, but it's verse 8. It starts listing numbers. You know, the descendants of Parosh, there were 2,172. And they go through all of this. You know, it's, it's interesting. If you look at the numbers, you, you see anyway, 2,172, you see 95 of Gibeon. You see 42 of Beth Azimuth. You know, we see all different numbers. Of Sinah, there were 3,930. There were a lot of different numbers of people. And when we get down to verse 66, because I'm not going to read all of those numbers, it says the whole company numbered 42,360 besides their 7,337 male and female slaves. And they also had 245 male and female singers. There were 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. Donkeys even made it into the list. It's where we read this and we go, what's with all the numbers, right? We read and go, God, what should I get out of that? Have, yeah, be on, just be honest with you. You read that and go, what's that about? Well, here's the first thing I want us to understand. Every individual matters to God. Every individual matters to God. Sometimes people think numbers don't matter, but they do. 
It's not to say that bigger is better, but we can never lose sight of, look, we went through and listed. He listed every tribe and family that was there. Came up with 42,000 people. Every individual matters in the work that God is doing. Everyone. There is no one insignificant in the work that God is doing. God has used individuals throughout history to move the mission of the church forward. He has used significant individuals. He, used, he has used people that you have never heard of. We've all heard of Billy Graham, haven't we? We know Billy Graham, but how many of you know Don Becker? No reason you'd know Don Becker. He's from my home church in Ohio. He just passed away last week. But he won dozens of people to the Lord because he was an evangelist. He told people about Jesus every place he wanted. Individuals make up the kingdom of God. And in Nehemiah, we see a list of families that are significant because God has used individuals throughout history to move the church forward in his mission. Actually, if you look at Matthew chapter 16, you can turn there or I can read it to you. Either way is fine. Matthew chapter 16. It's Jesus talking to Peter. He says, and I tell you, I, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Was Peter a superhero? What was Peter? Peter was a man. Peter was a man of faith. Peter was a man that believed in God's purpose for his life. And this was after Peter denied Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus said, and on this rock, on this person, I will build my church. And look at the authority that he gave to a man. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. There's a lot of spiritual authorities in it. A lot of authority there. Do you think Peter felt overwhelmed at that moment? Go, man, that's, that's, a, that's a big responsibility. But we know the work that the disciples did. We know the work that Peter did. We know the significance of the individual that God had called to do something amazing for him. You know, the walls of Nehemiah, they weren't, uh, they weren't really built by Nehemiah, were they? I don't know. I mean, Nehemiah might have carried some rocks. He might have moved some rubble. But who really built the wall? The people. The people in Israel, the 42,000 that we see listed here, they are the ones that really did the work. They're the ones that hoisted the big stones. They're the ones that cleaned away the junk. They're the ones that kept watch 
when the enemies were pressing in. It was the people that did the work. We can't lose sight of that because it's a whole bunch of people working together that made the difference. You know, we have to, we have to keep in mind that the work that God's called us to do is not just about the leader. It's not just about the leader. Nehemiah could not have done the work by himself. Fortunately, God didn't call him to do the work by himself. Actually, Nehemiah really uh, fulfilled the work that I think, uh, I, I, I think God has called leaders to do. Ephesians chapter 4 is one of my favorite uh, verses because it talks about you know, my job. My job. My job is your pastor. Uh, it's actually Ephesians chapter 4. I'm in the wrong place. Here we go. I was in chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know what Ephesians 4 tells me? Tells me my job is to prepare people to do the work. My job is to prepare people to serve God. Nehemiah's job as the leader wasn't necessarily actually to build the wall. It was to have the wall built. Who did the work? It was the individual people that did the work. There's an old devotion out there that you may have heard uh, this before. You might have heard this phrase, no man is an island. Have you, have you, this is actually from a, you, you throw up here, if that's too small for you to read, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll read it to you. Uh, it's, it's a devotion from John Donne. It says, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, it would be on its own. Any man's death diminishes me. Because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tell it tolls for thee. John Donne recognized something that's very true. No man is an island. Now, what did I just finish saying? The work is done by the individual people, but nobody's in it by themselves. It's a group of individuals that come together, that work together for the purpose of accomplishing something great. I wanted to read you a, just a brief story about D-Day in World War II. World War II was a, a horrible war. We're familiar with D-Day when they, they took the, the beach, the, the Utah beach, Normandy beach, they took that. Uh, and so there's many accounts of great heroism that happened that day. And I wanted to share with you a story uh, from that, that recounts that day. One of the many tales of, of heroism and leadership from that day centered around a place called Point du Hoc. There, a 300-foot-high cliff juts out into the English Channel where Allied ships gathered to launch an assault. At the top of the cliff, you can look down on both Utah Beach on the left and Omaha Beach on the right. And at the top of the cliff on D-Day, German guns were within range of thousands of troops being deposited on the beach below. The companies 
charged with securing Point the Hawk, suffered heavy casualties as they exited their boats, made their way across the wet sand, and scaled the cliffs. From D Company, for example, only 20 out of 70 men were still fighting form when they reached the top. The, but the amazing thing was those who remained on their feet, despite all the chaos, were able to focus on their objectives. This was true even after many of the leaders had fallen. When captains were killed, lieutenants took over. When lieutenants went down, sergeants took over. When sergeants fell, privates stepped up. And they were the ones who really won the battle. And so it went until they finished what they'd come to do. Many things didn't go as planned that day, but still the ultimate goal was reached. Allied troops got the foothold they needed on the Western Front. One of the reasons behind the success was General Eisenhower, who was in charge of this operation. Eisenhower Eisenhower allowed his people on the ground to make their own decisions in the heat of battle. He didn't try to micromanage. He simply trusted his people in his preparation and then waited at headquarters for the news. But before sending the troops into battle, Eisenhower relayed to his officers a message that must have sunk in at all levels. Here's what he said. He said, this operation is not being planned with any alternatives. This operation is planned as a victory, and that's the way it's going to be. We're going down there, and we're throwing everything we have at it, and we're going to make it a success. The taking of Point de Hoc was just one example of how that message spread all the way to the men at the front lines who threw everything they had into making their part of the operation a success. Eisenhower is given a lot of credit there. But who is it that did the fighting? Who is it that did the work? Who is it that did that won the battle? It was all the way down to the privates who took the initiative, took the effort to continue to see the objective won. When you make it all about the leader, then things are very limited. We all have probably heard the story that part of the reason why the Allies were so successful is because when they surprised Germany, the German commanders were afraid to wake up Adolf Hitler to ask them what to do because he had made it all about him. He had to be the one in charge. No man is an island, and the reality is that the whole is more than the sum of its parts. We as individuals can do a whole lot. We have some great accomplishments. But when we learn learn to work in unity, when we learn to work together for the purpose and vision that God has given us, what an amazing group of people we can be. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, I'm not going to read it. But we're familiar with this. It talks about the, the, the body. It talks about the body of Christ. Some are called to be eyes. Some are called to be feet. Some are called to be fingers and hands. We can't all be the same part. But we understand that a body is united in purpose. How many of you have ever been walking on ice when your body gets ununited? 
Your left foot decides it's going to go this way. Your right foot decides it's going to go that way. And the rest of you is protesting the disagreement. We're the same way as a church. When we're united in purpose, when we're united as individuals, when we're united in vision and direction, we can accomplish amazing things. But when we're divided, we're going to hurt ourselves. I don't know if you've ever gone down hard on ice. I have. Some of you might still feel the pain. We have to be united. And here's the joyous report that we can give. The church is part of God's plan to reach the world. That's what's next. The walls have been built. The church is part of God's plan to reach the world. What does Acts 1.8 tell us? Acts 1.8 is, is powerful. It says, but you'll receive power. We know it well. I don't need to read it to you. You'll receive power to be my witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What is that? We're united and joined by one spirit in one purpose. What's our purpose? To reach the lost. We as the church, listen, it, it is as, as God has told us, there's not a plan B. The church is God's vehicle to reach the world. Through us, he will use his spirit through us to reach those that have not yet come to the saving knowledge of his grace and mercy. He's going to use you. He's going to use me. And we can do it as individuals or we can do it as a body. We can do it as individuals or we can do it together. We can do it as a one-on-one ministry or we can do it together. I'd hope we would do it together. Nehemiah is a, a wonderful story and wonderful message of the power of vision. And once the wall was built... It wasn't stopped, was it? Was the work done? No. The wall was built. What do they need to do next? They need to build some homes. They need people to come back. They needed to do more work. They needed to do... There's still work to be done. We have a beautiful campus. We have wonderful ministries. We have people that make a decision for Christ on a regular basis. That's why we're doing baptisms. That's why we did a membership class yesterday. That's why we celebrate what God is doing continually. But is the work ever going to be done? No. It's not. It's never going to be done. There's always going to be more. Why? Because it is God's desire that none would perish without knowing him. It is God's desire that everyone would come to know who he is. And when we learn how to be unified in purpose and in focus and in effort, that's when God's going to move us forward significantly as a church. When we become a church that's focused on winning souls and dreaming for all that God will do through us, the potential that we have is without limits because you will receive power.
power. Is it my power? Is it your power? It's God's power. It's God's power. Now, many of us feel shy about sharing the gospel with other people. We say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Listen, how many of you, your life has been touched by Jesus? Do you have a testimony that you can share? Have you walked through a challenge? Listen, you don't have to know, you don't have to have Romans Road memorized. You know, all the verses, you don't have to have all that memorized. You don't have to, you'll be able to quote all the verses in the Bible to be able to tell somebody about Jesus. You know Jesus personally, then you can tell them about Jesus personally. You don't have to have a biography written down on a piece of paper for to tell somebody about your spouse. Why? Because you know them. You love them. They love you. You know the good qualities. Do you know the good qualities of Jesus? Then you can share the gospel with somebody else because Jesus has touched you personally. When somebody says, I don't know what to think about church, you say, well, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Well, I went to that church. Those people weren't friendly. I'm sorry. People are, sometimes they're sinners, right? We don't do the best all the time, do we? Sometimes we can't defend the actions of others. It's not really our job anyways. I'm sorry you were hurt by somebody. But let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. Let me tell you how he spared me. Let me tell you how he saved me. I don't have to get sucked into some debate because people can't dispute the testimony of what God has done in my life. I have had a personal experience with Jesus. The walls of my life have been built through the work that Jesus has done. And it is the individual work in our lives that will allow us to continue to build the walls of his church. On this rock, I will build my church. On this person. That's what Jesus said. On you. Jesus will build this church. On your work. On your dreams. What's it tell us in Acts chapter 2? Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men, or young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Dreams and visions are for today. And if you remember from the very first message that I gave here in January, and then the videos I sent through in February, what did I say? That we want to be a church of people that dream about what God can do. And I hope that you pray for divine revelation of what God would do in us as a church. Do you pray for us as a church? Do you pray for more? Do you pray for an increase? Do you pray for creative ideas? Do you pray for bigger opportunities? Do you pray for dreams for Calvary Lighthouse? I pray that you do. That's what I'm praying for. Because our prayers our dreams, they're the walls that we build our church with. They're the walls that we build our church with. 